0: Hello everybody and welcome to Friday's Blood Red podcast, where I'm delighted to say it is almost halfway through the international break at this point. The end is in sight. There was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and that is, of course, Palace Away, which awaits the Reds on the 23rd. Um, I'm Sean Bradbury, your host for today, and with me are two giants of the Echo Sport desk, I'd say. Uh, we have <laughs> veterans, yeah. Yeah, that's another, another way of putting take it. i giants all day, <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. honest,
1: being four foot nine. Uh
0: The voices you heard there were, of course, Dan Kay and Chris Beasley, who's back on the pod after... Uh, Three, four months, he's he's making his grand <laughs> return. Bees, yeah. how are you getting on?
2: Good, thanks. Yeah, it was a <laughs> very dramatic uh, last night, you say. They talk about international breaks, there and there I there was just um, doing the, the night shift at the Echo, and it was um, England just... Um, ambling along to an easy victory um, 6-0 against the minnows of Montenegro and then it, it all
0: kicked off it did indeed and, and what we'll do on this pod we'll, we'll take a look at the events that have dominated this week which is of course Sterling and Gomez's clash in the canteen and then what happened last night which was some pretty strong views on that in the room and, and certainly on social media and on the Echo website um the booing of Gomez at Wembley and then we'll move on to just take stock of Liverpool's season so far I have a kind of mini season review and more a few questions over on how the Reds have got on up to this stage um, You've heard from Bees, we've also got Dan Kay who made his glorious return to the Echo's Thursday Night Football last night. Dan, how are the legs? Uh, well, I don't know how glory it was. Uh, <laughs> I was feeling every single one of my 42 years
1: this morning. The, uh, I think it was the third time I kicked the ball since the start of July. would have been doing fairly regular evening shifts since then. But like riding a bike. You never forget how to play Awful football, and I can confirm I still have the ability to play. So plenty of gagging pressing going on there. Uh, well, I think that's a very generous <laughs> <laughs> description of it. But it's uh, just great to be back in the in the rhythm in the routine. Did you win? It.
0: And how many did you bag?
1: Um, I don't think we won, and I didn't actually score.
0: Well, next um, week.
1: But I, I, yeah, in my defence, I was extremely rusty. But I kind of feel I kind of felt I contributed.
0: Reasonably, I had a couple of very nice assists for Joe Thomas, so I'll, I'll take there that. There you go. It's the team game and you've you played your part. Right, well, as as B said, uh, we'll start with last night. A very exciting young England team, very likeable team, uh, picked by Gareth Southgate. We're, we're doing extremely well against Montenegro, 6-0 up at the time. 17 minutes in, Chelsea's Mason Mount is substituted for Liverpool's defender, Joe Gomez. And it's fair to say... Um, a hefty vocal minority started booing Um, it was quite widespread obviously it wasn't by by far from the whole of Wembley but you could clearly hear it on TV Uh, I was watching on telly um, and this follows on, obviously, from the internet on Monday that's been very well publicised and been all over the press this week between Sterling and Gomez uh, clashing in the England canteen, Sterling then being dropped for the Montenegro game, um, Gomez being left with a pretty hefty cut on, on the right-hand side of his face, all following on, of course, from the 3-1 win at Anfield, um, Liverpool beating Man City the day before. Um, yeah, so let's get into it, gents. I mean, I, I just thought, overall, it was such a shame. Southgate had done the right thing, I thought, to try and put the focus back on football for Thursday, you know, removed Sterling, Sterling from the situation. Um, he, he didn't start Gomez, which I think was probably the right thing to do. Um, but then we got this. Bees, you were you were here, yeah. as you said before. What what did you make of it all?
2: It was bizarre, frankly. I mean, there was um, two elements to it. I mentioned in my, my comment piece at the time, we've got that old um, friction, which has existed for a long time. Uh, certain apathy in these parts towards um, the England... Um, football team um, this whole um, scouts not English mantra but even if you've got those two clashing sort of ideologies in there between um, the way that people um, in Merseyside consider the England national team and uh, I, I mean I use the the phrase little Englanders but um, yeah that, that sort of um, c- certain type of support that the England team can attract even if you take all that whole dynamic out there I just don't know why they were booing in, in the first mm. place. Um, is, is Gomez seen as a grass because mm. um, he's on the receiving end of this, even though he's the player who was pleaded with the manager to bring Sterling back in there when he was supposedly driving home and is the reason Sterling remains part of the the, the camp. It can't be because everyone thought, oh, we could have done with Raheem Sterling this <laughs> evening. They were winning 6-0 without him. I, I just can't understand why in these people's minds they even...
0: Wanted to do it. No, I, Dan, I think that is a key point that, that bees has tapped into there because yeah, mm. the, the reports from what happened on Monday, St. George's Park, suggest that first of all, Sterling apologised to Gomez. We must say that's, that's usually to his credit. And mm. I think whatever did happen on Monday, what, what Sterling's done since, the, the statements he's put out on social media, been pretty classy in, in fairness to him. But yeah, he apologised to Gomez. Seemingly, Gomez accepted that. And then we're told also from reports in the Nationals that Gomez actually urged Southgate to, to not drop Sterling. And, and he's not said anything else. He's not come out with any other statements. He's seemingly trained. He's trained alongside Sterling. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's acted with, acted with dignity. And then this happens. Have you got any answers as to why it might have been the case? No, sure I, I don't <laughs> think there are any answers, to be honest, mate, because <clears throat> when it
1: comes to certain aspects of, you know, I, I think probably fair to say not just England fans, football supporters' mentalities, rationale and logic... And common sense goes completely out the window. Yep. Just to go back for a second, you mentioned about um, Sterling's admirable public utterances since the incident happened on, on Monday. I think it should should be added as well that. You know, and obviously, I was playing football last night. Didn't see the game, so only came to it afterwards. But apparently, he came out. He, he put a tweet out himself after the game, yep. basically criticizing those who booed him, which I think again is is, is massively to his credit. Um, <coughs> When I heard about it, I was appalled, but I can't say that I was one bit surprised mm. because um, the it's well documented in areas other than football, politics and other court cases, which we can't really talk about at the moment. This country has always had a certain viewpoint of this city. Mm. Liverpool, it, it's been said on many occasions, is, 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 in, is in England, but not of it. And... Um I I did see one tweet last night actually I thought that I thought summed it up very well. Um and maybe can maybe provide us you know a, a kind of explanation as to why this reaction happened during the match last night because you know it it's, it, it it defies any logical belief because the the correct me if I'm wrong, but there's been no dispute at any point since all this broke on Monday about what happened. It, you know, it, it, Sterling was the aggressor, the instigator. No one's thrown any doubt or query onto that, so you know it—it it, it, it boggles the mind how anyone could possibly see, feel that Gomez is the is the guilty party in this. Yeah. But anyway, one of the tweets I saw after the game was from local, well-known Liverpool supporter and writer and playwright Nicky Alt, and he said, "People should get it right. They're not simply booing Joe Gomez; they're booing Scousers." Liverpool, anything to do with the side in red who are top of the league and current champions of law and current champions of Europe they can 't take it because we 're great again it 's all good stuff mm. now obviously he 's coming at it from a certain angle but I do think there's an element of truth to that.
0: Mm. What well, following on from that, bees like, from a mm-hmm. personal perspective, and I think I probably speak for quite a few Liverpool fans here. I'd, I'd rather Liverpool won a throw-in than England won the game. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't doesn't really interest me. Doesn't bother me. Last night was different. I tuned in when I saw oxlade Chamberlain, who we'll come yeah. on to in a bit, and Trent was starting. And I do think, as as fans and as journalists ourselves, we have to check ourselves a little bit because it must for someone like Gomez, especially and Ox both both grew up down south, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And it, Trent made me a little bit different because he will have been part of that. That kind of northwest bubble, if you like, of, of yeah. having a bit of a different attitude potentially to, to England. But but those guys, it, it must mean a lot for them to, to step out and, and represent England. So, how do you think Gomez will be feeling at this point? Because they are they are his own supporters who've who've subjected him to that.
2: Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he was like you said, um, born in Catford, South London. So he's back, and his, his home city there. I believe um, his fiance and his, his young child were also in attendance at at The game, a lot of the family there, you know, what should have been a proud moment for him coming on to record. can't have had Coach. many England caps, I would have thought. Uh, not no, sure, not no, too no, many. He's, he's not too many at all. Though, yeah, I actually. think it was the first time his, his, his young infant son had attended an England game to watch daddy there and coming on to the pitch. And I mean, you can't you can't imagine how available. Yeah. I mean, we've heard he was first in the the dressing room and first out. Yeah. Um, except when, he, when he's done nothing wrong at all there's no as Dan said there's no sort of dispute as who was the aggressor in this and who was the wronged party he just got on with it and he's admirable in his actions he's actually made sure that Sterling was there because the, the cameras panned to Sterling when it happened and Sterling to his credit was, was applauding mm-hmm. his, his teammate when he came on he might not even have been at Wembley if it wasn't for Joe Gomez. He he was on his way home from Saint George's Park and Burton on Monday when he got the call for Southgate, and to be told because of Gomez, he was supposedly on on his way back. I mean, it's awful. I mean, it's been it's been a tough season at times for Gomez in and out of a very successful um, Liverpool t- team, and just wanted to reestablish himself again, get some minutes un, under his belt, and then he he, he gets with that, that um, I know you've done a piece Sean um, this afternoon saying he'll be under no doubt how much he's loved and appreciated at Anfield next mm. time he turns out and I'm sure everyone um associated with the Reds will um, really give him their full backing but yeah he, he must be he must be crestfallen at this point and I'm I'm sure when he's back at Melwood I mean Klopp will put the arm around him and everyone else and assure him but I mean, it, it can't be a nice place for him ju- just now
0: No Well let's, let's end this midi Segments on a positive Dan. Then in terms of Gomez, Bees has mentioned it there. What kind of reception are you expecting he'll get next time he steps out at Anfield? Well, I think it's uh,
1: it, it's blatantly obvious. if you know, it, you know I think he's a popular figure anyway. You know he's a young player that when he came into the team in the dog days of Brendan Rodgers' era, from the very first couple of matches he played at left back, straight away he looked like a player and had to have a really good. I think about eighteen at the time and looked to have a really good temperament and and head on his shoulders. So I think he. I would like to think he was already aware about how he's he's rated and, and admired by Liverpool supporters. But after this, if there's one thing that we are good at, it's circling the wagons mm. and getting behind our own and closing rank. And the reality is, we've got plenty of experience of it. A, a few people have pointed out in the last you know 18 hours or so since it happened that uh, this isn't the first time any a Liverpool player has been subjected to completely mindless, nonsensical booing from the some of the the, the knuckle dragging half-wits that, that that follow England. Um, you know, people from a certain era will, will remember John Barnes getting uh, pretty torrid treatment of England supporters towards the end of his uh, footballing career. N- nothing not racially not not racially motivated, I should add. That was much, much earlier on mm-hmm. in the early eighties. One game in particular against San Marino in about ninety three stands out when England won 6-0. It was featured in the famous Graham Taylor documentary and he was getting dogs abused. But it actually goes back even further than that. One of the old time reds I follow on Twitter last night was pointed out that in the aftermath of the 1966 World Cup, Roger Hunt got booed at some grounds afterwards because he kept Jimmy Greaves out of the team. <laughs> so, you know, we, to some of us, it's no surprise. But I think everyone will be very aware that this is a young kid, a very promising young footballer, who's really embraced the club and the city Seemingly since he's come to Liverpool, and he will need that little bit of validation and support uh, from Liverpool supporters in the Anfield crowd. And I have no doubt whatsoever that he'll mm. get it in spades.
0: Absolutely. Whether it's whether it's Napoli, Brighton, or beyond that, possibly the Derby. It's mm. it's going to be a great moment. That to be fair, um, yeah. So we look forward to that. um other guys, other Reds, young lads in action um, for England. Bees, let's start with Ox because he's hit a very rich vein of form and, and there he was again popping up with a goal. He's got to be banging on the door now, hasn't he, for, for more first-team starts in Anfield?
2: Yeah, so that's totally been <laughs> overshadowed now by yeah. the whole debacle over the, the Gomez. um I mean, that was, it was, it was a great moment for him. I think it's um, his first international start since uh, March 2018. So since he became a Liverpool player, his first goal for England as, as a Liverpool player, he took it really well I think that's five in six games for yeah. him now just um, lovely move, it came across from Chilwell he took it down, low shot across the uh, the face of goal and he's hit a rich vein of form, I mean you always wonder after players get such a nasty injury like that, um, out for the best part of a, a year You know, are they, they're going to come back but are they going to be quite the sort of player they, they were before and he was always a very energetic player as well so you wonder, is he going to be the same kind of player when he he comes back? But he, he's getting there. He's getting there, as Klopp's mentioned you can't always quantify it that where he needs to do more but I mean, we've seen those great goals he, he scored against um, Genk in the Champions League of, yeah. of late and he, he's become a real option now for the, for the manager whether it's in the midfield or even as, as one of those front three if he wants to rotate things so that definitely this is a good moment for Alex Oxley chamberlain just let's hope it doesn't keep getting overshadowed by these off the field events
0: mm. Dan in, in terms of Oxlade-Chamberlain I mean it's basically two games a week at least two games a week I mean there's nine games in December I think for Liverpool if you're looking at that Carabao Cup tie and the, and the two games over in Qatar. So just an outrageous run for the end of November, December and, and pretty much January as well. Do you think Ox could kind of emerge as a, as a key figure over the festive season? I, th- I think inevitably he
1: is, he is going to have a big part to play for Liverpool over the festive period and hopefully right through to the end of the season. Um, it was always going to take him time to get back to the levels that he was showing before his serious injury. And I don't think he's quite there yet, but it seems that every week he is getting closer. He is getting nearer. And what's great is you know, maybe because of the nature of his game and the way he plays, because he's getting a couple of goals, that will help his confidence and his self-belief. Because and I think he's, he's said in a couple of interviews recently that kind of like he's encouraged, but he knows himself that there's still a bit of work to do. But mm. Whereas maybe if he was a defender, putting the performances in he wouldn't necessarily have something to show for it mm. it's great that because of he's quite an attacking midfielder mm. having those goals will give him that little confidence boost and encouragement and, and the ability to accept that there will still be moments in games when he's he's not quite where he wants to be but he's definitely going in the right direction I think he's got an enormous part to play for Liverpool I've said for for a long time that it, I I firmly believe if he hadn't got that injury when he did against Roma that Liverpool would have won that European Cup. I think he was an enormous miss for that final. He was having a a really increasingly... um, significant impact on yeah. on the development of that team one game that always stands out for me is the second leg of the quarter final against Man City when we were 3-0 up for the first leg they scored in the first two minutes and the first 30-35 minutes of that half was horrible I mean my, my perspective on it was slightly skewed because I was sitting with the City fans <laughs> but they were on fire they were fully you know they were just about to win the league they were fully believing in conversion that they could turn this round just like we were against Barcelona last year and most Salah scored yeah, that lovely chip, you know, right about the hour mark. But really, the tide started to turn. I was saying the last five, ten minutes of that of that first half, and, and Oxlade Chamberlain was critical to that. Couple of big tackles and a couple of good runs and surges into their last mm-hmm. third, just introducing that kind of seed of doubt that this Liverpool team was growing into the match and they weren't going to have it all their own way. And he played a big part in the move that led to that Salah goal. So, you know, <laughs> Liverpool's mix. Liverpool's midfield has been much maligned for a long time and I think Saturday, Sunday's win over Man City I think was a bit of a watershed for them and I think they they, they really delivered on the big occasion in, in maybe a way that some people thought they wouldn't be able to mm. so he's he's going to have his work cut out to make himself first name on the team sheet but the reality is like you said nine games in December Liverpool are looking at potentially a 65-70 game season mm. and I think, I think the Ox sorry Joe, Joe. has got uh, <laughs> a big part to play for us
0: the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Lastly then B's on the England game mm. Trent Alexander-Arnold another, another great performance actually probably mildly outshone by Chilwell who I think got a hat-trick of assists and did a, mm. did a good Andy Robertson impression on the <laughs> other flank but um, <clears throat> what we did see from Trent uh, this is the interesting point we was talking to Theo in the office before mm. about about last night and about Trent a little bit of a stint in midfield I think after Gomez came on wasn't it I think yeah. Gomez went to fullback and Trent was pushed on into midfield And this is a debate that we've had on pods before you hear fans talk about this as well. Could Trent eventually be pushed forward for Liverpool? And I kind of feel, first of all, he's exceptional at fullback and very happy for him to be one of the best fullbacks in the world. But also, can Liverpool afford to take the time to see what he'd be like in midfield if, if we then, you know, drew a couple of games in that time and City caught up? You know, the stakes are almost too high to experiment. Whereas, it would actually be quite nice if Southgate thinks, well, you know what, I'll give him three or four games in midfield. So, do you think that could potentially be something we see for him in an England shirt and could benefit the reds?
2: Well, sort of so like Liverpool doing their experiment in through the England team. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting fair yeah because I mean when when Steven Gerrard first started out he played a bit at right back didn't he at did. times mm-hmm. so enough, but... I mean yeah it's just, I mean it's a way of introducing younger players into um, the side, of course, you can't say there's no responsibility there, but it's not the same as playing centre back or, like I yeah. said, in the thick of things in, in central midfield. So yes, he's, he certainly has that ability, but you've got to look at the way the full back position has evolved, certainly over the last um, couple of decades. From even when like Steven Gerrard started out, um, a lot more expected than um, they're much more of um, certainly with Liverpool as well, um, and a pivotal part of how, how they play, getting those crosses in, doing a lot of their work in the opposition. Half of the pitch, so it, it's almost not in the past. where you would have said a player like Trent in the past might have been wasted at fullback, whereas, mm-hmm. um, these days it is an integral part of the way teams attack. And with Liverpool and, and the four-three-three, the way they um, operate, um, um, yeah. yeah if, um, if if Gareth wants to. Um, have a bit of an experiment with England, stick Trent in there, and then maybe you could see how, how he gets on. I certainly think he, in time he, he could play in midfield, but like you say, it's whether Liverpool even want to lose in our right back because he becomes such an an effective um, force there.
0: Mm. Dan, where do you stand at? I mean, you know, Liverpool would have to either sign or produce, you know, two in the space of a decade of the best full-backs certainly the club has ever seen, and if not the world has ever seen. I do genuinely think Trent's that good. Do you see him <clears> stepping <throat> forward in time to come or <coughs> stick where he is? I think he has the ability to do it, but I don't know if I really see the point, to be honest. i you
1: know, I'd agree with, with what Beez has said. The, you know, the evolution of the fullback in terms of the modern game tactically, how many managers see it as one, of you know, and certainly in terms of this current Liverpool team now, I don't think it's any secret that the fullbacks are one of our main attacking strategies. And I've seen a few people saying recently that (laughs) arguably a couple of serious injuries there would potentially harm us more than, say, in the front three, Mm. even. Um, I've I've heard him say it before, but I was watching something quite recently and and Jamie Carragher was talking about his career in his early days, because obviously he... His, he actually his first couple of games were in centre mid, but the first once he kind of got into the team, his first couple of years really were at fullback, and it was Rafa Benitez that moved him into centre back yeah. in two thousand and four. But what what uh, Carragher has always been adamant about is that I don't and I don't think he'd ever really played fullback before then. So we're talking yeah you know, right about the turn of the decade two thousand two thousand and one. The main reason he played there was because Huley just wanted him in the team. Because of it, I think as much as anything else. Because of his character, because of his spirit, because he was a young player mm. that Hulé saw was like you know similar to Gerald, the local heartbeat of his team. And back then, I'm not you know not every position on the field is important. Of course it is. I'm not saying Hulé you know just didn't care about full-backs, but it was there was a logic to it. Now I think a you know a, a fullback is what a, a, a fundamental part for some teams of their attacking armory, and it very much is for Liverpool. A few people, um, a few people have, have, have said lately regarding because there's been a lot of talk about you know, should Trent go into midfield and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he would be capable of doing that. Mm. But I think the lads actually even said himself or in so many words, he can affect the game and influence the game arguably more from the flank yeah. than he could in the centre of the park. You can see virtually everything in front of you whereas you know where in the middle of the pitch, you kind of need the eyes in the back of your head. So. <laughs> You know, another really important aspect of modern football, I think, is tactical fluidity and flexibility and the ability to come up with different solutions for different problems for different matches and sometimes within matches. And there may well be occasions when Klopp will say, right for 20 minutes, go and play in midfield or mm. for the odd game here and there. But I don't see any point in trying to get him to be, turn him into a top class centre mid when
0: he is already well on his way to being a world-class fullback, mm, Agreed. Agreed with that. Right then, so we'll move on to the second half of this and, and kind of just take stock of where Liverpool are at this moment in the season. Obviously, eight points clear at the top of the Premier League table. Um, 12 played, 11-1, one drawn. Couldn't be much better. Um, so, simple question, putting you on the spot ever so slightly, and we'll start with you first, B's. Mm-hmm. If you were a Reds fan, um, would you at this stage be hoping to win the league or expecting to win the league?
2: I think expecting at this point. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. I think that um, Manchester City have been the dominant force obviously in English football for the last few years. You know, accumulated record breaking points totals of 100 points and 98 points the last two seasons. But I think as inevitability happens, they're just starting to slide now. Um, you know, they're not in free fall, but I mean, they've lost a quarter of their, their games so far this season. I've seen mm-hmm. Liverpool. You know, would would have in the past been considered collateral damage over a over a season. They could afford to lose that one, but not Norwich away, no, mm. not Wolves at home. No. So I mean, they're unexpected. They went into I think City went into the season centre back light. They only went in there with three centre backs, and now they've got that injury to Laporte. But it's not just City's demise. I think Liverpool have, have, have kicked on since the start of last calendar year when they brought Van Dijk in and then Allison over the summer going so close look they didn't lose it last year did they it was it was it was yeah, a, a, a it was the third highest points total in English top flight history more than any of liverpool's previous 18 championship winning seasons so i think it's an anomaly actually that liverpool haven't won the premier league to date and it any sort of fears that they were incapable of doing that have gone now like i said they didn't lose it last year it was just you know, a superhuman effort. It was first to blink, who was going to blink? Nobody blinked and mm. then City just pit them at the post. So I think they've gone from strength to strength this season. This We hear this phrase, don't we? Mentality monsters. And they just grind out results, whatever. And it is a long way to go. Yeah. We're only a third, not even a third of the way through the season yet. But for, for me, they're, they're the best team in the country now. And I think there'd have to be a big sea change between now and the end of the season for 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 them to blow it which I think if they did do this year they they, they would blow it this Mm. year if if they didn't win it
0: Dan are we living in hope or expectation bit of both
1: you know it would be disingenuous I think you just make yourself look a mug if you try to say oh City are still the favourites you know and not just because of the points lead that we've got and the fact that we've beaten them as Chris said this is a Liverpool team on the crest of a wave they have natural momentum behind them because of the evolution of Klopp's era and how they've progressed. And City, you know, inevitably, as, as all teams, you know, everything is cyclical in life and in football, mm. and are, are coming towards the end of the cycle. I'm not saying it's over, and they, you know, and, and they, well, no, no doubt about, will be keen to extend it for as long as they can. But, you know, a lot of their key players are getting older, mm. the likes of Aguero, Silva, you know, real key players obviously there's a lot of good young players De Bruyne Sterling Edison many many others your your question to Bees before was: what what was it hope or expectation hope or or expectation (laughs) I mean obviously we hope and there's a part of me that you know wants to say I expect us to because you know I, I, I agree that if we if we didn't win it from here you'd have to look at how and why I'm just scarred by three decades of yeah New and ever more creative ways yeah. of finding ways not to win it, yeah. But the reality is, as we saw, you know, with horrendous consequences <clears throat> for Andre Gomez only a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> the fickle, fragile nature of football, mm. and how sometimes the most innocuous incident can sometimes have cataclysmic, very severe effects. Now, I do think we're, we're and you know, 26 matches to go, 78 points to play for, more than two-thirds, just over two-thirds of the league game still to play. There's still a lot of football to be played. We will have injuries. We will have bad spells. The other thing as well is the desire, the drive of this team. You know, at the minute, it's I always have this this kind of irresistible force against the movable object theory. Is a hungry team's desire to rip the title from its holder's grasp Mm. stronger than the holder's Willingness to to clutch onto it, and that is what will determine where the trophy ends up in May. Mm. But you know, you I defy any Liverpool supporter to not be to not say that so far this season really has gone better than anyone could have hoped or expected for.
0: Mm. Well, we kind of maybe in those answers have touched on this already, but I was going to ask you both, is there an individual in the team or some kind of aspect of Liverpool's play so far that stood out to you as as exceeded expectations and essentially has, has, you know, potentially made the difference this season compared to last? I think your point there, Dan, about um, wanting to wrestle it away from the holders and just a sheer desire is potentially an answer to that. But I'll start with this one. I just think the fact that Fabinho has maintained the form that he showed in the second half of last season and has enabled the team to hit the ground running with him as it's kind of midfield fulcrum is just has just been key. Every 50 50 turned into an 80-20 with him, isn't it? And he's just obviously he's got his goal against City. He's had a couple of assists, I think, Arsenal and Genk. And you know, for years it looked like the team was crying out for a Mascherano type. Um, someone who can kind of be that defensive shield. He, he's all that. He's so much more. Um yeah, he, he's the thing for me, I think, that's that's pushing them on to that to that slight next level. Be as you first Is there anything Or anyone that stands out
2: I would would echo that I mean I've done a piece Only today um, With a Friend of mine, a contact, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Calvozo. No, Rodrigo, from if Goal, you're listening, from Goal in Brazil, a very good friend. He was actually he came over into the old Echo offices, um, visited us as once. Um, his wife is a big Beatles fan, is oh. so she was in town. They were in town. The Calvozos from Rio, excellent. And they, they came in. <laughs> and they came in and said came, in um, came into the office. Um, came and did a pod with us. Um, so yeah, Rodrigo has been speaking about Fabinho because bizarrely, although he's playing, for, I mean, let's get it right now. I mean, it will be confirmed next month that you know probably the best club side in in world football at the moment. And he can hardly get a kick for Brazil. Um, It's it's a strange situation there. And I wanted to explore that a bit more. I mean, they're playing Argentina this evening. We don't know yet whether um, Fabinho's in the side. It'll be a surprise if he is. Um, it seems that the coach um, will probably go with his fringe players against South Korea next week but yeah it's just bizarre how he doesn't hardly play for Brazil but, was
1: he left mm-hmm. out the Copper America squad? yeah he didn't wasn't mm-hmm. I in the squad he wasn't, wasn't even even in the, the squad of
2: yeah, Copa America yeah having just won the Champions League yeah but yeah. it's bizarre it means that um, it seems that Casemiro from Real Madrid and Arthur from Barcelona are the two preferred choices in the defensive midfield role but yeah so i mean if you want to find out about more about why he doesn't um, play for Brazil read that piece but for Liverpool yeah he's become the main man it was strange really when he first came in for a few weeks it was almost like ooh we got a dud here um, is he one of those players who looked good in the French league a slower tempo there for Monaco mm. but wasn't going to hack it in, in England it seems bizarre now looking back at that but I mean he did he had a slow start for mm. Liverpool those first few weeks first couple of months yeah, really yeah. Yeah. there was a big game away yeah. to his first big start was yeah. away
1: to Arsenal to start in November Yeah, and he looked way off it yeah.
2: So, he, but he's totally turned that around now and you say he's become the main man when I mean, we talk about the importance of the front three and the goals and that'll never change but yeah like you said the way, the way they play the way they grind things out and as, as Rodrigo said he, he's, it's not just that he breaks down the opposition play he can start the Liverpool moves as well yeah. and, he, and then finish them as he did against Manchester City so yeah he, he, he's become he has become a we talk about giants he, he, he has become a giant in the Liverpool team
0: So we've got Dan we've got Fabinho the Fabinho effect we've got your point about desire is there anything else that stands out as being different this season?
1: Yeah, for me, I think it would be, and again, it's something that people have spoken quite critically about over the last couple of years and saying this will be the one, you know, the first 11's great, but this will be the one thing that maybe will stop Liverpool reaching the very top, the strength of the squad. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I'm not trying to pretend that Liverpool have had se- as severe an injury list as, say, Man City. Although, of course, obviously, they've got a much bigger squad able to cope with it. But Liverpool have had some you know, some some significant injury concerns this season, most notably the goalkeeper, who got injured within, what was it, twenty odd minutes of the first game, and then didn't return to the side until Man United away halfway through October. Um was it was it in the the, the Sunday Sky production where it might have been company or someone was going on about, yeah, I'll wait and see what happens to this Liverpool squad when they have a few injuries and Roy Keane pointed out, well hang on, they've they've been missing the goalkeeper for yeah. most of the season and and, and barely missed the step. I think you can also include um, the centre back positions in that. Mm. Uh, in that, you know, Van Dyke, Lovren's played the last three games, I think, but, you know, mass- it, it, there hasn't been a settle back four. And obviously, the, the reserve goalkeeper behind that also adds to the potential uncertainty there. So there have been plates that Liverpool have had to spin, problems mm. that they've had to absorb into the squad, but they've done that incredibly well and won what? 11 out of 12 games, yeah. um, you know, made good progress in the Champions League and the Carabao Cup. So I think, you know, and obviously they haven't, you know, there's, it's not like they've gone in and bought, bought another 10 brilliant squad players. It, you know, there's been a couple of additions, a you know, couple in, a couple out, but it's largely the same size squad, but they've just evolved and improved together. Mm. And I think that's another thing that puts Liverpool in a very, very strong position When we get into the real heart of winter and these games are left, right and centre, then you get into January and the intensity doesn't drop, if anything, it only increases because it's 2020 now. You're, You're not quite in the final running, but it's getting closer. But my confidence and hope and belief that Liverpool will be able to see it through this time is very much strengthened by the fact that so far they've dealt with the adversity that's been thrown at them and come through it with relatively flying colours. Mm.
0: Well, final point then, and and sticking with the squad bees, do you think there's, is there any area of concern in that squad for you? If you were Klopp looking at the January window, would you think there was any little bit that you could strengthen or somewhere where the depth wasn't quite as as broad?
2: Yeah, Um, like as Dan said, you know, you can only take one moment and then you're looking short and I think they look light uh, at left back. I know James Milner can obviously fill in there. He, He does a splendid job wherever he goes in there there's a few long, young lads but and in, in regards to recognised options I mean they've got Andy Robertson there who's been Robertson's been carrying a knock he's not he's revealed he's not even been training properly for a couple of weeks now he had to withdraw from the Scotland squad where he's the captain so he didn't want to do that yeah so if anything did happen to Andy Robertson I think that that is one area where they look um, light. I know obviously they, they, they have Moreno in there and they, and they let him go, but um, it, it would certainly be a, an area that um, Klopp would uh, do well to have to have cover in there just in case, you know, something did happen.
0: Mm. Danny, I guess things will probably be determined by the busy Christmas fixtures that, that you mentioned there. If there is, you know, it's a, obviously the, an opportunity to rack up lots of points to progress in the Cups, hopefully qualify in the Champions League. But a lot of games with quick succession, two a week there could well be injuries. I mean, do you you think the only possibility that Liverpool will do a fair bit of business in January is if there are injuries? Or do you think there might be a little left field signing?
1: I don't see Liverpool doing a lot of business in January. But I I can't be honest. I wanted to add on to my last answer and I'm I'm glad you've you've moved on to it here. Having said about how I think the squad has improved, I still would like to see us bring in, even if it's one player, even if it's one loan deal, just because... The volume of football, the volume of incredibly intense football Liverpool have played, are playing, will play right throughout the rest of the season. And no matter how good and strong and lucky you are, inevitably there are going to be points where you you might find yourself falling a little bit short. The problem is, of course, you haven't got a crystal ball arguably probably left back might be I'd agree with these probably is the 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 weakest area but as we've we've already said the full back positions are you know intrinsic to the way Liverpool attack so James Miller James Miller is an an admirable deputy (coughs) but the difficulty that they've had is knowing what area you you could argue that they could do with an extra player in all positions Mm. but they can only name a certain number of players in the squad I think it'll be one of these where... And, of course, everything is is quantifiable nowadays. They've got all the data. They've got all the tests. They're able to crunch all the numbers and see when people are getting into kind of what they call, it, like, the red zone, when they'll be more susceptible to the likes of muscle injuries. And I think, as we mentioned in one of the pods earlier in the week, I think it was soonest again, last Sunday, basically said that his concern, particularly about January, was muscle injuries because they tend to happen when you're not getting enough rest between games. Yeah, And with all these, you know, as, as you said before... It's literally two games a week at least until the until the, the turn of the year. That that is a is a real potential red flag for Liverpool. So I I also think back, you know, to twenty fourteen and other times we've come close. Maybe not so much last year because, as B said, you know, we didn't lose that that league l- last year; they won it. But in twenty fourteen, when we would recruited poorly in the September, got ourselves into a good position by the January of having a real go at it. We tried to buy the winger was uh, ye yeah, and Connor play anchor oh, yeah. and it didn't yeah, come off
2: the but there was there, yeah.
1: there was very much that regret in my mind I think some others that kind of like look how close we came could one more player have made the difference we'll never mm. know will be you know what I mean but I, I just wouldn't want us to be in that same boat again so I would hope and I've, I've, yeah, I've always bang on about it. I always think it's just in a general sense it's good when just an extra face around the dressing room an extra voice just freshens things up a little bit so it'll be interesting to see if if the manager does do anything there but you know history tells you traditionally liverpool don't do a lot of business in january mm. but when they do it can sometimes be some of the most important business that they do particularly Coutinho and Sturridge in 13 and van Dijk of course in uh, january 2018
0: mm. so we'll see absolutely well Jürgen and his lieutenant Scott one more week so have a good think about that transfer window and then it's two games a week for pretty much the rest of the season. Um so yeah we will leave it there that has been today's blood red we will be back on monday where we will be officially more than halfway through the international break get so uh, we'll get through it together stick with us yeah. uh, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.